Hello everyone, this is Dane Gentry. Hope everyone's doing well. Today I'm going to do a recording. This isn't a live episode, it's just a recording. Uh, just to talk about the way things are in this country with, with drugs and these kind of things. Um, I'm not going to go into my story. I've told it a few times now. Hopefully everyone knows it. And if you don't, you can send me an email at uh, danegentryspodcast at gmail.com and I'll answer you. I, I will stay in contact with you and interact with you best I can. I want to tell a few little stories about... Just the way things are, how sad it is, you know, with this fentanyl thing we have going on right now. Um, I've told a story once before, and I hope you don't bore you, but I want to tell it again for those who haven't heard it. So there was this mother. She had a 14-year-old daughter, and on all accounts, her daughter was okay. She was doing doing good in school. Um, she had noticed a few little changes in her, but nothing real serious. Uh, a little bit of isolation and, and some other stuff, she said, but nothing that really just sent off any alarm bells in her head well one morning something woke her up and, and she woke up and she went in to check on her daughter and, and uh, unfortunately she found her daughter uh, dead in the bed of course she was hysterical and she went out of the room immediately and called 911 and she never went back in that room again the door was shut after the body was removed and these things and she never went back in there again so uh, autopsy showed that she was an overdose and of course her mother was like, man, you know, I wish you would have talked to me about it. I, I wish this. I wish that. Well, about a year after that, all of a sudden, detectives come and, and start asking her these questions about some stuff. And she really didn't know what was going on. Come to find out, <clears throat> her daughter had been with a grown man. Uh, I think he was 24. If I'm wrong about that, I'm not wrong by much. Maybe a year or two. And remember, she was 14. So um, what, it really, what really had happened is she was with this grown man. And he was turned out to be a predator. And so um, they were smoking some pot, packed a bowl or whatever, and he actually put fentanyl in it. Um, and it killed the girl. He brought the girl's dead body home and actually put her in the bed. That's the true story of what happened there. But, the, of course, like I said, the mother didn't know anything about it. And it was all new to her that the daughter was even smoking pot. She didn't think she was even doing that. So the moral of the story is, is that nowadays you can't just go smoke a joint anymore you can't just go and drink a beer somebody's like put something in it especially the girls um these these men out here man america is number one in the world for predators just so you know for pedophiles and predators um so please please remember that be careful it's not worth it you know if you don't die and you may end up raped or, or something and then you know you don't want that either and it, it's horrible that you know, kids can't even, you know, somewhat uh, be free to do things anymore because that's what it is in America, sex traffickers and all these things. And either way, it's going to turn bad for you. So please just be careful when someone offers you something. Don't take it. Don't do it. It's just not worth it. Um, the guy, I don't know the end of the story. Yet. I think the guy is still going to court on it, but let's hope that he gets a life sentence. He murdered this girl. It wasn't. That's what I, that's, this is what I believe how it should be is that they are starting to charge people for the fentanyl. If they find out who sold the fentanyl to you and you die, um, they are starting to charge them, but they need to charge them with first degree murder. They don't need to be charged with no manslaughter. Don't need to be doing that because they're going to get eight years, 10 years or 12 years. You know, everyone who's heard me talk before already knows, you know, I did 21 years. I didn't kill nobody. All I did was done some forgery stuff and stole some stuff. Was that wrong? Yes, of course it was wrong. But whenever I hear a story of someone who, who gave someone fentanyl or sold them the fentanyl 
and they die and they get eight years, it, yes, it chaps my ass. It chaps it a lot. And these are the things that we need to be going to the capitals and talking about. You know, it, it's wrong. It's dead wrong. Um, you know, the the penalty, the punishment for the crime is, is just not sufficient. So uh, everyone think about that for a minute. Now, here's another story. This one's a little gory, and I apologize, but um, people need to hear these things because this is the reality of these cartels and stuff that they do. So there was this guy, and he was in California, and uh, college was finishing up, and he met the girl of his dreams. He'd been waiting on it, and he just knew. Things were going great, man. They were having the times of their lives, and he just knew, man, I'm going to marry this. This is going to be my wife. Um, we're going to have children and, you know, have the American dream, as, as so many people want. Well, them two and two other couples go to um, Mexico to celebrate the graduation of college and these things like this. So they go down there, and it's for a three-day trip. And the first day there, they go out to a club, and they're drinking, having a great time, and the girl just wants to go to the restroom. So she goes and goes to the restroom. Well, time had passed, 15, 20 minutes, maybe 30. And he was like, man, where did she go? You know, and so he goes, and he tries to find her, go to the bathroom. She's not there. Goes outside, and she's nowhere to be found. Comes all, comes back inside, goes all around the club, can't find her anywhere. So then he tells the other couples, hey, man, you know, she's missing. Help me find her. And so the rest of the night, they search for her all night long. They don't go to, they just go out everywhere. And he's showing people pictures of her on his phone and different things. And, of course, no one, no one's seen her. And so they're still there for two more days. So they stay, and, you know, this man and this young man is going crazy. You know, he don't understand, you know. There's no way that she just left is what he's thinking, and but he doesn't know. I mean, you could imagine being in that situation, what it would do to your mind and, and what you'd be thinking. You'd be thinking, you know, man, did she leave me? Is that what it was? Or, you know, did she get kidnapped or worse or whatever? So next two days, like I said, they they continue to, to look for her and try to find her. Um, and then to no avail, they never did. Never find a trace of her at all. She just vanished. In thin air, gone. So... They were actually had walked across the border because they was in a border town there in California or whatever. And so they were making their trek back across. And, of course, there's a big long line coming across, back across the border if you've never been down there. Um, most of the border towns and coming back, it's usually a real long line of people because a lot of people will go into, go into Mexico to buy their cigarettes and things like this because it's so much cheaper and the tax isn't on them. So they're in this line, and they're waiting, you know, and they're walking. And one of the girls from one of the other couples saw her in the back seat of a car and, and tells him, Hey man, there she is, you know? And so he starts screaming her name, waving his arms and she won't even acknowledge him. She's just looking straight ahead and that's it. She's just acting like, so now he's really thinking, man, something's not right though. He keeps something inside of him saying, man, something is not right. I know she would at least look at me, you know? Um, I know her, I know she loved me the way that I loved her, but still, I mean, you can imagine being in it. It'd be like being in the twilight zone there for a minute. You know, you can't figure that out. So they go and, start with the border patrol and, and tell them but at first they're getting they're not getting anywhere the border patrol is like ah whatever well finally this one is usually how this happens anyway that one there's always the one who says well maybe we should investigate this and see and so they made the car pull into the line or where they pull you over to where they're going to do a more of a thorough search for through the vehicle or whatever and so they they pull it in and here's the gory part of it and i apologize uh, for this part but come to find out she was kidnapped that night she was taken wherever. She was killed. She was cut open, and everything inside of her was removed, and her body was filled back up with drugs. Sewed back up, and she's sitting there. And it's a dead body <clears throat> with sunglasses on, dressed, and just sitting there like 
she was a normal citizen. So I want everyone to think about that for a minute. I want it to really, truly resonate with you on what these people are. It's pure evil. Their drugs and the drug life and everything about it is pure evil. How do I know? Because I lived that life. That's how. So these cartels do not care. And another thing that happened is that a lot of these, these younger people will go over there to, to party like they were. And these cartels will get you and they will tell you, yes, you're going to drive this vehicle back across the border or whatever. We're going to kill you. And if you don't, if you, if, when you go to go across and if something happens, you get caught, guess what? They're going to say now, they're going to say that you owe them all the money for it. Do not put yourself in that position with anything. Anytime anyone wants to come to you and say, Hey, I got this amazing deal for you. You make all this money. Immediately turn around, walk away and leave because it's, it's usually not a good thing. Don't fall for it. Um, I'm not sure what happened there as far as I'm sure the people that were in the car probably got charged. And that's probably as far as it went because the people on the back burner who we don't ever see, we just hear about them every now and then these cartels and stuff. They're not going to be the ones that get charged. Okay. So another story. <laughs> Hope I'm not boring anyone with this. If I am, I apologize. So there's this couple. They had partied a little bit, you know, throughout their lives. Not much. Uh, they smoke a little weed, drink, and she had done cocaine a time or two and remembered that she kind of liked it a little bit. So they were going to go out to Vegas and celebrate their, I think it was the 20th anniversary. And so they go out there, and it's just them two by themselves, and they're going out there for a week. That's a long time to be in Vegas if you ain't never been. I was out there for eight days one time. It was horrible. But anyway, um, so they go, and they're partying. And um, if you ain't never been to Vegas, um, it's like this right here. On the strip, you get approached numerous times with, with anything that you want, whether it be prostitutes or whatever. I mean, they're everywhere. And so they were approached by this guy, and he was like, you know, anything you anything you guys want, I got it. So uh, they decided that they wanted to do a little bit of cocaine. And so they bought an eight-ball of cocaine, which is 3.5 grams. And they, um, I don't know why I just told you that, but anyway, they, um, or party, and they go back to their room. And they, the idea was they were going to go up and do some of this cocaine. They was going to go back out and party because Vegas never shuts down. It's a 24-hour deal there. So um, they go and do that. They go in the room, and whatever happens, happens. Well, uh, the maid service comes. You know, after so long in a motel, you can, you can put your do not disturb sign up. But I think after two or three days, they make you come out so they can clean, to be sanitized, sanitary deal. Um, and they kept knocking, 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 and no one would answer. And so... Uh, they got the, the main key or whatever it is and went into the room and found this couple in there dead sitting on a couch. So what had happened is, is this cocaine had fentanyl in it and it killed them. Neither one of them had ever done anything like that. Now, it wasn't that the cocaine was cut with fentanyl. That's what people nowadays, I hear them all the time, they say this, they say, man, they're putting fentanyl in everything. That's truly not what's happening. What it is is that this person who sells cocaine is also selling fentanyl, or the person who sells weed is also selling fentanyl, or whatever it may be. It's on their hands, and it's a trace amount gets transferred. It takes the granule of sand to kill five people, I think. If I'm wrong about that, I apologize. I know it's more than one for sure. Um, and so that's what's happening. They're weighing up the fentanyl, messing with it. And they may have gloves on or whatever. Then they're going to have the same gloves on when they're messing with this cocaine. And so that's what happens is it gets gets transferred that way. I'm not saying there's not people who aren't putting it in it, but it just doesn't make a lot of sense to me to do that. But anyway, 
Um, that's that's what's going on. That's what's happening. Um, if you ever see anybody with gloves on, then you understand why. Because if it gets in your skin, it's absorbing your skin. Uh, I've heard the stories of the police officers, different things who get it and almost died because it got transferred to, to them that way. So the moral of it is, just like I said in the beginning of the show, is that you never know. You never know. You may be thinking you're just going to smoke a bowl or you're going to smoke a joint. And like I said, you know, if, if people aren't prepared, you're going to die. Because unfortunately, these people that you think are your friends and all this, they're not your friends. They're going to leave you there dead and get out of there because they're just going to freak them out. They're going to be scared. They're going to be afraid. They're going to go to jail and all these different things. They're not going to save your life. So remember that. Um, just be careful. College kids, you know, we don't hear a lot about college stuff that's going on because people want to keep that hid. They don't because, okay, for instance, if we start hearing a bunch of stories, let's just – I don't want really, I don't want to say any college really just a college uh, if there's x amount of people dying from fentanyl overdoses or whatever it's not going to be reported why because the schools need your money the media doesn't or the government doesn't want to report it because things are so bad I mean look at what they do report a bunch of nonsense so parents you're out there talk to your kids talk to them if they're in college if they're grown if they're in middle school whatever it is, talk to them. If they are still under your roof, invade their privacy. Remember, you're saving their life. Um, I understand, you know, you, you don't want to be that type of parent to um, invade their privacy. I understand it. I do I do understand that point on one hand, but unfortunately, in this day's time right now, uh, we cannot um, slip up because if we do, your child is going to be dead. I'm going to tell you a story about something that, I personally witnessed myself. I was in Florida for a little while, and I was working in a treatment center. Man, my life was good. I was doing really good. I was on this kick where I was very positive, and I knew exactly what I was going to do, and I did it. Kind of like this little trail I'm on now. But um, <clears throat> there was a guy there. His name was Joey, and um, I won't say his last name, of course, anonymity. But he was a younger guy. Uh, he, had, he had been to treatment a few times, but he was a good kid. He was just a drug addict, man. But I liked him. I liked him a lot, and me and him got, got close while I was working there, and um, he left and went home, and um, he come from a wealthy family, and he had a, a town home there in uh, West Palm Beach, and his parents were I want, somewhere in another country. I want to say England or somewhere like that. I'm not sure, but the mother had become really good friends with one of the counselors that worked there. This counselor I'm talking about was amazing. Um, her heart was in it. She really cared, and I come in one morning, so I was a supervisor, and I come in one morning on Saturday, and she came to me, and she was crying, and she said, Dan, will you please go to Joey's apartment and check on him? His mother just called and um, wanted someone to go check on him. She said, I'm, I just can't do it. Will you please go do it? I don't want to find him that way. And I said, yeah, y'all go do it. And so I go over there, and doors are locked, but I looked in through the, like from the patio in, and I could see feet in the floor, and so... Um, the mother told me where the spare key usually was, but it wasn't there, so I kicked the door open, and I go in, and um, I can hear the death rattle, which is that you know, it's the breathing when your lungs are filling up with fluid or whatever. And there he was, man. He was he was dying, <clears throat> and uh, I called nine one one, and uh, I tried to do the CPR thing on whatever, but it wasn't working. His, his lungs and stuff was filled up with so much so much fluid and stuff already, and um, they came and and they took him, and he was in a coma, and at first they said he was brain dead. But he ended up coming out of it and uh, was doing good uh, while he was in the hospital. 
Um, he got out of the hospital and immediately relapsed again and died. The point of that is, is how powerful this drug is. I mean, you just went through all of that right there. And, uh, uh, it was a very traumatic experience for his parents. Um, for me, it, it, it was traumatic, but it wasn't that traumatic. I've, I've seen death uh, so many times, but, uh, it, when it's a friend of yours and someone that you care about, it's, it's a little bit different. And it's just so sad, but that just shows you how powerful this, this drug is. Um, no matter what, you know, is all the things that it takes away from you, you know, for that split second when it hits your mind that, that you want to do it, and that's all you're thinking about. You know, they say you relapse a long time before you actually do the drug, and that's true. You know, you, you start thinking about it, and then that obsession becomes so powerful because you're not doing anything to overcome it. And if you don't have any tools in place for it, it's not going to happen. Um, and so, uh, you know, again, the, the parent, his parents have to get that, that call that um, um, he's gone. So if you're out there and, and you're struggling and you want to get sober, do it, man. It's, it's worth every bit of the work you're going to have to put into it. You're going to have to put a lot of work in it, but it will be worth every minute of it. I promise you, if you'll do it, um, you have to set up your mindset and shit short-term goals and long-term goals. These are things that work for me. Now, the things that I do, I understand they're not going to work for everybody and everybody might not have to work a program and, and do all these things. But, you know, first thing is, is that tell yourself you're going to do it. I'm going to get sober. I'm going to stay sober. And as you're doing it, when you, if you go to treatment while you're in there, Start making a routine, a habit, and start doing it. Get up early, exercise, or whatever it is, read something. Most importantly, hit your knees and pray. Because no matter what, you can work any kind of program, you can do anything you want. If you don't put God first in it and lean on him and ask him for his strength, it's just not going to work. It may work momentarily, and you'll be at what's called dry, which is you're, you're sober but you're miserable, and it's just a matter of time until you you fall back in it again so set these goals don't sleep till 12 o'clock and think you're going to get anything done because you're not you know we're just not meant to to be that way we're meant to sleep at night and wake up early in the day and do the things we do uh, that's why we have night and day and that's how god wants it to be and I'm not saying if you work overnights or whatever then i understand that but but set you some goals okay look at it and say you know in 30 days from now this is where i want to be but just don't don't get in too big of a hurry. Set set small goals. You know, we have to be realistic as well. You know, let's say you were doing drugs for 10 years. I mean, you can just imagine what you've destroyed in those 10 years. I mean, you destroyed so much, and it's not going to come back overnight. And you, you may not get everything back. A relationship may not come back. But remember, that's okay. Um, you know, just, just pray and become okay with your past and work the steps and make amends as time comes. That's not something that you need to do early on in sobriety. It has to, you have to be selfish, and that's not a problem for most drug addicts because most of us are very selfish, self-centered people. Um, I don't know a drug addict who's not. It's part of the addict gene. That's part of the things that come along with it, the characteristics that come along with it. I definitely was. I was very selfish, very self-centered, and <clears throat> I still catch myself sometimes being that way. We become very egotistical, um, all kind of things, and I was arrogant prick. Um, and so, anyway, set these goals. Set something out for 30 days. Because what this does is it, it when you reach that goal, man, I don't care if it's just, you know, I want to be able to feel good in them 30 days or whatever it may be. 
it's a goal. Write it down. Look at it. When you get there, it's going to be an achievement for you. And then set your next goal. If you have, don't already have it, you know, for 60 days out, this is what I want to be doing. But just don't get in a hurry. Um, don't set these goals too big to set yourself up for failure because failure is, is a bad thing um, for a drug addict <clears throat> because it takes you back to that same mentality of, man, I'm trying everything I can, man. I'm still not getting anywhere. It's because we're still not doing something right, which is more, more cases than not. Um, it's we're not leaning on God. You know, when, when you first get sober, you get on this pink cloud, I call it, and everything is great. But what we have to remember is life is still coming at us. Life's not going to stop. And so these things that are coming at us now when we're sober, we have to feel them things. We don't feel them things when we're on drugs. That's why we do them. We want to forget or push it back. And I'm high. I'm not out over here, so I don't have to think about, you know, uh, I don't have a relationship with my brother anymore I, or look at all the years I missed in my mother's life or um, all of these different things. And uh, and so we start beating ourselves up. Uh, so don't do that. Don't become arrogant. Um, that was my problem. I would become arrogant. I could always tell when I was going to relapse because my attitude would get bad. And so I don't know if that may be something for you, but for me it was. It was a bad attitude. When I get that bad attitude, it was just a matter of time. And so I was up front and open with that with a counselor, and I wanted people to call me out on that and sponsor as well. Call me out on it, man. <clears throat> I had to have someone tough uh, to me because, you know, I'm not a little guy. I'm kind of a bigger guy, and uh, I like to have that old angry look on my face. Why? To keep people at arm's length, you know what I mean? And Because in reality, I was just a scared little boy. I didn't want to admit that I was the one that was wrong and all these different things. But I needed someone to call me out on that, and I found them. And that's what really changed my life. Because um, when you're on this pink, pretty cloud, <clears throat> remember life's happening. Something's going to happen. It's going to be the same things that happen when you're on drugs. The only difference is, like I said, is that now you're feeling these things. Prepare yourself for that from the get-go as well. From day one, start preparing yourself. For me, it's armor of God. I put that on. I'm a, I'm a man of faith. I'm a spiritual guy. I'm not a religious guy. Um, and that's what it carries me each and every day. It's God. It's not me. I'm, all I do is do the, the footwork. I work a program. I work the steps. I talk to a sponsor. I do all of these things, and I'm going to do that for the rest of my life. Why? Because I love my life today. That's why. I love being sober. I love trying to help people. I've got this goal set up to get out here and reach out to people, and I'm going to do it. I'm going to help people. But at the end of the day, if I only help one, that's okay. I feel like I've done my job. You know, so many things throughout my life. I, I shouldn't be here today. Um, I shouldn't have made it past 11 years old, really, in the reality of. Um, I got hit by a truck doing 40 miles an hour, and I was a little kid. I was a small guy. And so... Uh, I wasn't supposed to make it through that. They called the family in, and uh, I remember, I remember, I remember being there in the hospital. And I told someone this last night, I think, but uh, I was laying there, and I didn't know what had happened because I went into shock when it happened. I remember bits and pieces of it. But one of the things I remember more than anything about that day was I remember my brother, and I remember him crying, looking at me and crying, and um, you know, I think I just got coaches then, you know, thinking about that. But reality was they called the family in to tell me bye. Uh, it wasn't, I thought everybody's coming and saying hi to me, man. But uh, they were coming to tell me bye. I didn't know it. But by the grace of God, I lived because he had a better plan for me. The problem is I kept messing that plan up all throughout my life. And uh, but the thing is, he never gave up on me, man. He's not giving up on you either. You got to remember that. He's there. He loves you. He wants to hear from you. He wants you to talk to him. Talk to the Holy Spirit just like he's there with you. It ain't weird. It ain't crazy because it's the reality. It's true. It's real. And the more you do that and the more relationship you build with him, man, you'll be amazed at the thing he does in your life. 
Um, so again, prepare yourself for all these things. Put on this armor because, like I said, life's going to happen. One for me, the one time I really truly worked on sobriety, um, I was um, I was in a program. I was in what was called drug court. I got in some trouble in Williamson County, and I was in there with a very good friend of mine. And my mother got sick and had to go in the hospital. And then he mentioned drugs, and uh, then my mother's in this coma, and he ODs and dies on a Saturday. They find him Sunday, and then my mother passed away on Wednesday. I wasn't prepared for any of that. And so I, uh, they gave me a six-hour furlough to go to my mother's funeral, and I ended up leaving and ended up in Arizona and immediately was strung out smoking heroin because I wasn't prepared. Had I been prepared, would things have been the same? I don't know, but I think I would definitely had a good fight in it, you know what I'm saying, to to keep from relapsing. Um, but if we prepare ourselves for them things from the get-go, it will it will it will help you because things like i said it's the same things that were happening when you were getting high now i'm not may not be your mother it'd be whatever but things are going to hit you hard because again for me you know i from the age of 15 i didn't feel anything you know i went to prison become even colder i didn't do drugs in there but i become an even colder person because it's just a dark damp place and and that's what we do um so prepare yourself for it. Learn how to deal with it. And the best advice I can give you is God. There may be people who are listening to this uh, eventually who, who don't believe in God or these kind of things. And um, I'll say that's okay, but again, it's kind of sad because look out in the world today, man. Look at America. Look in the world. You cannot deny that the devil is real. So if the devil is real, then you know God has to be real. Um, I understand that these churches and religion uh, would turn anyone away because we look at the things going on and it's all about money, this, that, and the other. Man, build a, build a relationship with your higher power and God. Don't worry about that part of it because at the end of the day, it's all about you and the relationship that you build with God. Um, just remember that. In, in the program, they tell you, you know, a higher power. Came to believe that a power greater than myself could restore us to sanity. That's, that's the, the step. So power greater than yourself. Some people will choose all kind of different things, but at the end of the day, it all leads back to God. Just remember that because we do nothing without him. It's all him, and that's what everybody has to understand in here. It's not me. It's not your counselor. It's not your, it's not your sponsor. It's not your brother. It's not your mother. It's not your parole officer. It's God, okay? But when we hit our knees and submit our life to him, you'll be amazed at the things that he will walk you through. Um. And you'll look back on it and kind of smile and say, wow, man, this God thing really is real. Uh, without God, I would not be where I am today. I definitely wouldn't be where my life is going today, and it's going places finally. Um, and do I deserve that? No, but I'm a child of God, man, and he, he knew all along my heart. I've always had a good heart. I just was always doing wrong. And I've heard a lot of people uh, mentally and spiritually, you know, not so much physically stuff, but. The, the mental stuff, you know, and, and that's just as bad. And um, there's a lot of, there's still a lot of things I have to do. There's a lot of people that I have to go to and I haven't made amends with, you know, I can think of a couple that I really need to go to and, um, and, and do these things. There's some people I need to talk to who think that I did some things that I didn't do even, you know, uh, I everything I, I went to prison for, I did, but there are some other things that's happened throughout my life that I truly didn't do. But, looking at me and the way I live my life, I understand why I would be accused of these things or people would have thought that I had done them because of the way I live my life. I would have thought the same thing about somebody. So we have to remember that too. 
we can't be mad at somebody who accuses us of something or whatever because look how we're living our lives as an addict or alcoholic or whatever it is. We're not living good, man. We're doing bad. We're not doing anything good. So just remember all these things. If you have any resentments, really take time and look at these resentments and say, am I justified on these resentments? And I'm going to tell you right now, 99% of the time, you're not. You're going to find that you're not justified in them. You know, Maybe you wasn't raised right or maybe this and that and the other. That's okay. There's millions of people in the world who wasn't either, and they turn out to be okay. So the, harboring those resentments is bad for you too. Hate, anger, all these things is bad for sobriety. You got to get spiritual, man, because the spiritual thing causes you to love. And that's the most important thing of all is just love. And that's where I'm into that. I want, to, I want that to resonate with everybody, man. Love. That's what we have to do. That's what this country needs. That's what every single person needs. Whether you believe it or not, you need love. I didn't believe in love. I thought love was this fairy tale. Come to find out, that shit's very, very real. And it, it will, man, it will lead you in so many places when you start feeling that love and, and pure cure and compassion for other humans. No matter who you are, we all need love. You know, the way we're living our life, we might not deserve it, but that's okay, man. Show love and let's see if that won't change people because it'll change people more than what you realize. So let's just do that, man. Let's come together. Let's love. Let's give each other a hug. Let's do all the things we knew. And you see an addict, man, give them a hug and tell them there's a better way. Uh, if they don't have insurance, there's programs out there, man. There's there's hospitals here close by to where I live and different things that I'll take you in without it, and they will help you, and they will love you through it. They'll give you the medicine you need. So let's love everybody, man. And uh, let everybody think about that for a minute and think about how it feels to know that you're truly loved. I don't think there's a stronger anything in this world than love. God bless you, and we'll talk to you next time. Goodbye.